What would we do, right? What would we do? Good morning, everyone. So great to see you. I'm glad you're here. Now, first service, I told the worship team, let's imagine we're worshiping on, an, on the beach in Hawaii, and there's a warm sun coming down on us, a gentle breeze, and we are just worshiping God in the context of paradise. How's that working for you? Is that good? Yeah, see, that works. So just imagine we're there and, and not in Indiana. So that will help us. We have been on this subject about being rich, and we've discovered that we are rich. Virtually all of us are rich. And as coming to terms with that, we realize God also encourages us to be good at being rich. Since we are rich, God's made us rich. It's important to be good at it. And so we're learning how to be good at being rich in the ways that really matter most. And so today we want to look at a passage of New Testament scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul teaching the church at Corinth, and we have much to learn from this passage, and we'll just continue this theme, and hopefully we can make the application to our lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 9. I'll begin reading at verse 6. If you don't have your Bible, we'll project the words on the screen for you. Uh, we want to get it. So as you're able, would you please stand to honor God's word? Here's the apostle's words to the church at Corinth and to us. He said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And may God bless his word this morning. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we've learned that there's some good news and there's bad news. What's the good news? We're rich. Now, that's really good news because it's good to be rich, I guess. And what we learned is that if you make $33,000 a year, that's your annual salary, you're in the top 1% of all wage earners in the world. You're a one percenter if you make $33,000 a year. And so we learned that we're rich. And the reason we know that is because we have rich people problems, right, in America. I mean, the things we fuss about are our hair appointments and a bad sandwich at fast food and... You know, I, my, my 16-year-old daughter drives our third car, and I don't know where I'm going to come up with the money to put new brakes on that thing. You know, that's our problems. We have rich people problems. And so we know we're rich. We're coming to terms with that. And it's good news because, you know, God has made us rich, and, and it should be enjoyed. We also found that there's bad news. What's the bad news? We're rich. And it really is bad news. And the reason it's bad news is because, is because it's really hard to be good at being rich. We can easily get distracted. For example, it's harder for us as rich people to depend on God. We tend to depend on our stuff and our resource rather than depend on God. And we also tend to get distracted from the most important things in our lives, which are our primary relationships and those values. And we tend to get stuck and distracted by focusing on how we can get more stuff. And so it's a real distraction. It's a hassle that way. 
And it's also difficult being rich because it causes us sometimes to lose sight of our responsibility as a rich person. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. We can, we can easily lose sight of just how responsible we must be as rich people. Jesus said it's really hard for a rich person to actually get into the kingdom because of all of these distractions. So these are difficult challenges. It's good that we're rich. It's also bad and challenging that we're rich. Let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be below average? Anyone? Just love to, you know, be on the low end there, you know, bottom half? Nobody. Because nobody wants to be average. Let me tell you something. This may be hard to believe, but the more blessed you are financially, the less generous you become. You've heard some statistics that I've offered the last couple of weeks. Here's a new one. Those on the bottom 20% of wage earners in America, bottom 20%, give twice as much of their income to others on a percentage basis than the people in the top 20% of wage earners. People in the bottom 20% give twice as much of a percentage of their income than people in the top. That doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, that just, how do you reconcile that? It's almost crazy. That's crazy. But it's actually true. It's really, really true. So it, it raises this question, why has God made us rich? Why? We are. We're coming to terms. Why has God made us rich? Well, one of the reasons he's made us rich is so that we can enjoy these blessings. I mean, it's right and good to enjoy the blessing of God. It's proper. It's honorable. It's worshipful to enjoy the blessing that God has given us. It's just like you as a parent or grandparent. You give nice things to your children, your grandchildren, and you, you find pleasure in giving them nice things, and you see the joy that it brings to them, and so it's right to enjoy the blessing and favor of God. One of our foundational verses for this series is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. I'll put that on the screen just to remind you. And Paul's writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and he said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. For what? For our enjoyment. And so we have to give ourselves permission to enjoy the blessing and abundance of God. It's a right thing. It's an honorable thing to do. So why has God made us rich? So that we can enjoy it. Another reason that God has made us, made us rich, and we learned this from our text today, 2 Corinthians 9, 11, I'll put this on the screen. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so another reason that God has made us rich is so that we can be generous. Enjoy what God's given us and then to be generous to others. This is what Paul told Timothy about rich people. Again, from 1 Timothy 6, this is verse 18. You can see it on the screen. He said, command them to do good, rich people, to be, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And so we, we see the purpose of being rich, which is to do good and willing to share. And, and notice the first word in that verse. He says, command rich people to be generous. So he didn't say encourage them to do it or suggest that they do it or treat them nicely and hope that they'll do it. He said, command them. To, command them to do good. Be willing to share. So it's a really important, important feature. Now, as you know, each week we've been coming up with a key thought. First week, the key thought was this. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. So last week, we, we came up with this. 
I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. This week, this is our key thought. Because I have more, I will give more. Now let's put those all together. Let's read it together. You'll see it on the screen. Let's read it together out loud. You ready? God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more. So we're going to enjoy a lot of what God gives us, and we're also going to be generous with the abundance that God has given us to bring thanksgiving to God. So we want to learn to be better at being rich. Now, two main thoughts today. If you see on your outline, there are two main thoughts and then two subpoints. And so it's fairly simple, but these are very important. These are big thoughts, these two big thoughts. And I hope you'll get them so you can take them home with you. Here's the first one. Rich people give strategically. Give strategically. Now, this could be a life changer for some of you. This could really make a difference when you think about what I'm about to share with you. Rich people give strategically. And this is really important. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7, again from our text. Put it on the screen. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. What you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in other words, you should think about what you're going to give. You should consider it. You should pray about it. You should talk it over with yourself, with your spouse, with others. You should decide in your heart what you're going to give, how much you're going to give, and to whom you're going to give. And you, and you come to terms with that. You have a peace about that. This is, this is the instruction. You decide in your heart what you're going to give. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be giving uh, in, in any reluctant way. So well, I'm not sure about that cause or I'm not sure about that amount. I'm just not at peace with the whole direction that I'm considering right here. And so you don't want to give out of reluctance. Because when, you, when you're reluctant, you know, your, your, your fists get tight, your heart gets closed, and that affects the whole purpose for the cheerfulness and the joy that comes in your giving. You want to be at peace about it. You want to be able to open your heart and open your hands and say, you know, I'm giving, and I feel good about it. I feel good about where it's going. I feel about, good about uh, the amount that I'm giving, and it, it gives me joy. It makes me feel good. You don't want to give reluctantly. You don't want to give under compulsion. If you feel like someone's pressuring you or, or twisting your arm behind your back in some way and you just feel manipulated, you know, he's just, you know, that's all. He's, he's just trying to get money. You know, get, have that kind of attitude. And listen, don't give because it'll ruin the whole thing. It'll just mess it up. Because, listen, listen to me. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about how much you give. He only cares about why you give. It's about your motive. It's about your attitude. It's about your heart. So everyone should decide in their heart what they're going to give. And then you can give cheerfully. And that's, that's what honors God. God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he loves. My, uh, my family, Beth and our boys, daughters-in-law, gave me a really neat Christmas present this year. And when it came time, you know, for the gift exchange, I could tell that they were getting all excited about this. And they were happy about it. And it was just in a little decorative bag, you know, just a little card in there. And so uh, they gave it to me, and they were, you know, the room got quiet kind of a moment. And I just thought, well, this, this may be kind of neat. And it really, really was. It, and it was one of, one of those extreme driving experiences. 
So later in the year, I will go up to Michigan International Speedway and get in either a Porsche 911 a turbocharged car or one of the Ferraris or an Audi R8, something like that. An hour beforehand, you, you get there, and uh, this is what will happen. They'll put you in a room with the, with the other people, and they, will, and they will lecture you about, do not wreck our cars. <laughs> do not abuse our cars. Do not hurt our cars. You break it, you buy it. You know, it's just that kind of one of those speeches. And then they put a helmet on you, and then you get in the car, and then you just thrash it, and you just wear it out. And I will... <laughs> And the straightaway on the road course at Michigan International, I've already looked this up, obviously now, is about 2,300 feet. So I'm, I'm expecting maybe 150, 160 miles an hour. Uh, how many of you want to see the video when I get back? <laughs> see, watching, watching the pastor scream like a little girl. It's going to be... <laughs> Do not worry. Uh, the church's life insurance policy on me is paid up. And if I go out in a blaze of glory, you know, it's all good. Uh, it all turns out well. But they knew, my family knew, that that would make me happy. And they were excited. They were pumped to see my response. And I think they got the response they were looking for. And why is it? it because they decided in their hearts to give to somebody they love, and they're cheerful givers. That's how it works. Uh, either that or they're trying to think of a clever way to get rid of me. <laughs> it's a possibility. Now, what happens with most of us rich people is that we tend to give, not strategically, but we tend to give just spontaneously. And that's good, and that's okay, that's great, you know, because a natural disaster happens, and those, you know, those poor folks have been flooded, and we need to, we, we feel compassion for them, we want to help them, we, so we give some money there, and we, it's spontaneous, that's great. Or someone in our small group loses their job, and we want to help them through that season, you know, just to nurse them along until they pop through the other side, and, we, and that makes us feel good, and it's great. And, or maybe a friend wants to go on a mission trip, and you give them $100 or $500, and, and you support that. But if you're only giving sp spontaneously, you will lose the opportunity to give in a strategic, prayerful, thoughtful way. So rich people, I want to challenge you, truly rich people give strategically and regularly and systematically. Routinely. It's uh, like the wise men who went to see Jesus. You know, we, we studied these guys a few weeks ago, and they thought about where they were going. They thought about what they wanted to do when they got there, and they believed that they were going to meet a new king when they finally came to the conclusion of this search, following this star. And so they planned ahead. They thought about it. They decided in their heart what they were going to do, and so they showed up at the baby Jesus with gold and frankincense and myrrh, highly prized, valuable things. As opposed to not thinking about it and just being spontaneous, you know, they roll into town, they, they, they go, oh, shoot, stink, we, we forgot to get the baby a gift. <laughs> oh, we'll just, we'll just swing by Walmart before we, we go on in, you know, get him, get him a beanie baby or a frozen doll or a pillow pet, something like that. No, they, they thought about it. They put some thought into it and they gave strategically. So what I want to do this morning is, is kind of emphasize how Beth and I have lived our lives and continue to do so with this area of giving strategically. We, we believed many, many years ago and still do today that the scripture is clear about baseline, basic expectations of giving when it comes to financial giving. And we believe, we believe that the most strategic way to begin 
a life of giving is by honoring what the Bible calls the tithe. Let me show you a verse in Malachi 3.10. I'll put it on the screen. It says, bring the whole tithe. Now, this comes from a Hebrew word, tithe, from a Hebrew word, maser, which means a tenth. And so we, we get the percentage from that. So he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And most scholars uh, believe that this is a picture of the New Testament church. So we return 10% of what God blesses us to the church, the local church, to the storehouse. And we get this from this verse. That there may be food in my house, God says. So for our family, I'm just speaking for ourselves now, our strategy in giving starts with returning 10% of what God blesses us with back to the local church. And the reason we do that is because of the storehouse principle and because we have a strong conviction about the value of the local church. Beth and I actually believe that the local church is the most powerful, transformative presence in the world. We believe the local church is the hope of the world. That the local church, people assembled together, united in, in covenant community, makes a huge difference in the world. So we believe in the local church. We believe in it a lot. So now why in the world? Why in the world would we do that? Giving 10% of our income just as a basic starting point for our giving. Because we believe that's what the scripture teaches. Now, there are all kinds of opinions about this. All kinds of pushback happens. Well, that's an Old Testament principle. That's no longer valid in the New Testament times. That's a legalistic way to look at it. That's not a grace-filled way to look at it. And there are always people with an opinion and push on this particular subject. Let me show you a verse in the New Testament, though, that helps me a bit. This is in Matthew 23, 23. And this is Jesus speaking. And you can see the words on the screen. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Now, he's... He's talking to the, these guys who were the religious leaders, and they were legalists. And he calls them hypocrites. <laughs> you know what a hypocrite is? hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. There's incongruity. There, there's a lack of integrity. And so there, he said, you guys are hypocrites. He said, you give a tenth of your spices. You're careful about giving a tenth of your income. You, you know, you're right on point to the, to the penny with your tithing. With, with the mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, the real spirit of the law, which is mercy and justice and faithfulness. And so he's challenging these guys because they're so legalistic. You know, they, they're, their underwear is just all bunched up. They're just too tight, and it, you know, they're just all puckered up. And so they go through life all puckered up like that. And people can get this way. And, you know, it's interesting, occasionally, occasionally I'll hear about a check that's written to the church, you know, uh, this check was for $118.31. And I know exactly what's going on because folks are being conscientious, they want to be strategic, they want to be consistent, they want to be faithful, and, and so they want, to be, they want to tithe, and that's kind of their standard, and so the tithe for that particular income that time was $118.31. And when I see that, you know, I see, I see good in that, but I also want to just say to, to the person who writes a checkout with 31 cents on it, you know, round it up. You know, just kind of loosen your pants just a little bit and be free. Round it up. What's it going to hurt, right? Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not about the legalist part. So Jesus concludes, this is his concluding statement, note it. He said, you should have practiced the latter, which is the spirit of the thing, mercy and justice and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. So here's Jesus 
actually challenging some hypocrites about their legalism and actually affirming the whole notion of the tithe at the same time. It's interesting, isn't it? And so there it is. So Beth and I actually believe that, that tithing is a biblical principle and it becomes, as I say, just a foundation, a starting point for our giving. Now let me say something about this. If you're a person who does not tithe and maybe you're not even able to tithe, here's, here's what I want to say to you. You should not feel inadequate. You should not feel inferior because you're not. You're not, you're not some second-class Christian. Listen, everyone in, everyone in this room, everyone has a story to tell about your personal finances. Every, everybody has a story, and everybody's finances are different and unique. And you have to determine in your own heart what you should give. I know that there are people in the room right now, it's not even possible for you to tithe. Even, it's mind-boggling to even think about it because of your circumstances. Maybe you've made poor choices in your life and you find yourself in a moment where you have obligations that's going to demand most of your income for the foreseeable future and you want to make that right. And so that's your circumstance. Or maybe you're a person that you've had, you had unforeseen expenses. I mean, it just happened to you. Stuff happens in life, medical bills or whatever, and you've, you're faced with these obligations, these responsibilities, and you're just pouring yourself into making good on that. And that's an honorable thing to do. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. My point is simply this, that wherever you find yourself, you can still adjust your attitude and your heart and your motive and be a generous person. It's never about the amount. It's not about the amount. So don't get caught up in that. And folks, have, and there are many people in our church who are tithers, lots of people who are tithers. For those of us who do tithe, listen, we shouldn't feel superior about that. You know, we should just be thankful to God. Our circumstances are such that, that you can tithe. Now, there are people in the church that your circumstances are such that you could tithe, but you don't. You could do it easily, but you don't. And all I could say to you is the reason you don't is you're just below average. You're just, you're just one of the statistics, below average. You know, bottom half there. But again, it's all about your motive, and it's about your heart. It's about your attitude, and that's what God honors. So Jesus clearly affirms this whole process of strategic giving, regular giving, and honors the tithe. Now, a couple of subpoints to that. And again, this is from, from, from our family, and I just share it with you. What Beth and I have discovered is that tithing teaches us to put God first in our lives. It just helps us with that, to put God first. I'm still a guy, when I, I pay the bills in our family, I'm still a guy who actually writes checks to pay our bills. There's something about the paper. There's something about writing the numbers that makes it real to me and connects me with what's actually going on. It just helps my, my mind get around it. And you may think this is a little goofy or corny, but when I pay the bills, you know, I got a stack of bills on the table, you've been there. The first check I write is always to the church. And you say, well, that's, that's silly. Why, why would you do that? It's just symbolic. It's, it's just my way of internalizing and practicing and symbolizing my intention. God, I want you to be first in my life. I want you to be first place in my life. So I'm not going to give you what's left over. I'm not going to wait till the end. All the bills are paid. And okay, I got a little, I can, okay, I can give my tithe now. I, I can see I, my way clear to do that. No, I do that first because it, it places God's, 
role in my life in the right priority. Deuteronomy 14, 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. So this is how Beth and I live our lives. I will give God my first and my best and trust him to bless the rest. I'll give God my first and my best and trust him to bless the rest. Now, look, some of you are really pale right now. And, and I want you, just want you to breathe a little bit. But some of you may be thinking right now, if, you, if we were just in a room alone, you might, you might say to me, Pastor Greg, am I hearing you say that 10% is like the, a starting place for generosity? Are you crazy? Do you understand, in order for me to do that, I would have to totally rearrange my life? I would, I would have to make massive changes. There would have to be a, a total reprioritizing of, of my life in order to do that? Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, that's it. You got it. Perfect. You're hearing me just right. I've communicated clearly. So you want to put God first in your life. You want him to be first place. My first and my best goes to him. And it will force us then to do some incredibly spiritual things, to rearrange our lives in a very tangible way so that we are, are literally putting God first. And it may sound crazy to you and just unbelievable to you. But if you do, you'll be blessed. I got a call from our oldest son, Aaron, right after he got his first full-time job right out of college. You know, this is a good day. When the kid, you know, kid gets out of college and gets a job. It was like the goal. It's a happy day. It's a very happy day. Some of you know the feeling. He calls me up the day he got his first paycheck. Now, Aaron had summer jobs and part-time jobs when he was going through college and all that. And uh, he always earned, you know, earned a, a nice little salary. But he got a really nice job right out of college. And his first paycheck was bigger than his entire salary the prior summer. So he calls me up, and he has this tone of incredulity in his voice. Like, hey, I can't believe this. I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the horns of dilemma. And he said, Dad, he said, I just got my first paycheck. And I went, woohoo! You know, this is a great, happy, happy day. I said, that is so great. I'm so proud of you. That's, that's wonderful. He said, Dad, he said, my paycheck, my first paycheck is more, he said, a lot more than all the money I made last summer, my summer job. And I said, how great is that? He said, I got a problem. I said, what, what's your problem? He said, does God, does God expect me to tithe on this whole amount? <laughs> he, said, he said, you know, I've been faithful to tithe on any job I've ever had. And he was and, and, and is. And, and he said, you know, it was easy to write a check for $20. <laughs> does God really expect me to write a check on this whole amount? I said, well, let me pray for you. I can tell you're struggling. Let me pray. And so I just said, Lord, you know that Aaron's having struggled being generous with his new pay. And so I asked, Lord, that you'd lower his salary until it's at a level <laughs> that he'll feel more comfortable. With. No, 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 don't pray that, Dad. No, 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 don't, don't pray that. <laughs> do, you, do you know that in a conversation sometimes... 
uh, on the phone or person to person, you know that there's a moment when the, when the first person that talks, the next person that talks is the loser. And so you just wait. And so I just waited. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Long pause. Long pause. Just waiting. And then all I heard him say was, got it, Dad. Click. <laughs> <laughs> and he and his wife, Mandy, have learned over the years that putting God first in this area of their life really provokes the blessing of God. It's just a wonderful, wonderful reality. And they've learned it. I mean, they get it. And, and I happen to know how much they make, and I know how much they give to their local church. And for the life of me, I don't know why his pastor doesn't write me a note at least one time and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for raising up a kid who gets it. Not once. You know, he's, he's just ungrateful. <laughs> so recently, Aaron and his wife, in addition to their full-time job, they bought a small business. So now I have this small business. And over the holidays, Aaron announced, he said, you know, this is not conventional, but he said, assuming that there are going to be profits in the business, he said, I've decided that I'm going to tithe from the profits in, my, in this new business. If God gives me profit, I'm going to tithe off of it. Because he's learned what it, what it, what it means. Now, you won't find this in business school 101, you know, take your profits and give 10% of it away, but this is his worldview, and so this is the way he goes through life. And not only did he say, I'm going to tithe off the profits of my business if, as, as the profits come, but he said, I'm going to give that money to Union Chapel. Now, how many, how many of you want to pray for his business? That would just go, <laughs> bam, just explode. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that good? So there you go. Tithing, then, is a way that systematically consistently as a follower of Jesus, helps me put, put God first in my life. Now, here's the other thing that it helps me do, and Beth and I have learned this. We'll just share it with you, that tithing increases my faith in God. Tithing increases my faith. Now, think about that for a minute. It increases my faith in the goodness of God. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're rationalizing the numbers, here's what it means. It shows me something that doesn't make any sense that God can make 90% of my income go further than 100% of my income. Are you following that? Because that, that's, that's how logic will take you. 90% with God's blessings somehow, supernaturally, goes further than 100% without God's favor. Now, I see people nodding their head. Because there are people in the church, you've learned this. Beth and I have learned this for decades. That 90% with the touch of God, the favor of God, the blessing of God goes further than 100%. It's actually true. I don't know how it works. We see through a glass dimly. We see into the spiritual world without focus right now. It's kind of unclear. But someday we're going to see all of this with absolute clarity and we're going to go, man, oh man. How awesome is that? That's an amazing thing that God was doing. We didn't even know God was... We were just trying to live faithfully. But look what God did. Because he took, he took the, 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 the worshipful expression of our love and gratitude for him in the, in the generosity of our giving, and he actually blessed it supernaturally with his favor and provision and his help. It's an amazing thing. Listen to me. You may, you may think I'm crazy. I wouldn't be caught dead not at least tithing my income. Not in a second. 
Not for a minute. Because what Beth and I have learned is that God can be trusted. I said this last week. I'll say it again. God will not be indebted to anybody. He won't owe you anything, and he doesn't owe you anything. And if you will give, God promises that he will bless you. That if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly. That's how it works. Now, now listen, God is not some big genie in the sky. You know, you just rub him the right way and poof, you know, a new boat pops out. That's not how it works. It works rather in God's consistent favor toward our lives in the, in the, in the ways that are meaningful to us. And sometimes we can see it, that was God. Look at that, what God did. And other times it's subtle and imperceptive and we don't even realize it. But God is clearing the way to meet our need. And it works that way. Listen, if so, the Union Chapel operates this way. We have for 30 years. We are a tithing church and then some. There have been, there have been years at Union Chapel, we not only gave 10% of what we received away, there have been years in the life of our church where we gave over 30% of our income away to ministries outside of the four walls of our church. And if our leadership got together right now and got me in a room and, and held me down and said, now, Pastor, we can't do that anymore. You know, we've got, we've got fixed expenses. We've got bills to pay. We can't be that generous this next year. So you're just going to have to give in to that. And, and that's just going to be the way it is. As soon as they let me up, they'll say, it's been nice pastoring you because I don't pastor a church that isn't tithing. Because it's stupid. It's unwise. It's crazy. It's crazy time. Listen, when you're generous, this is what happens. When you're generous and cheerful and joyful about it, you've determined in your heart what you're going to give, and you're going to be generous about that and systematic about it and strategic about that. This is, it's just like in the weather world where there's low pressure, the wind comes to that. So the lower the pressure in the atmosphere, the faster the wind blows. And when you're generous, listen, it creates low pressure spiritually. And the blessing of God, the favor of God, the miracle working for provision of God, it just flows toward you. And the more generous you become, the faster the wind blows. And it's just an awesome way to live. It, it's really just, a, it's, it just, it's just so much fun to see the provision of God in your life. To partner with God in a faithful way. Putting him first and building our trust and confidence and faith in him to be my source and my provider. It's, it's just the best way to live. I, I just wouldn't, you couldn't get me not to. It just, you couldn't. It wouldn't be possible. So tithing increases my faith. 90% goes further, and sometimes goes a lot further. Look at the last part of Malachi 3.10. We'll put it on the screen for you again. This is the last half of the verse. So God says, test me in this and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. And that's exactly what I've been describing. That God will bless us. It's amazing. Okay, here's the second big thought. We'll be done. First big thought is rich people, we give strategically, regularly, faithfully, consistently. And the second thought is rich people give extravagantly. Give extravagantly. Now, when you hear the word extravagant, you, you first think, that's a lot. That's a big amount. Well, it can be that, but it doesn't have to be about, it's never about the amount. You can be extravagant. Remember Jesus with the, with the widow woman last week? She puts two pennies in the offering, two little copper coins in the offering. Jesus goes, that's a big one. That's extravagant right there. 
because she's giving out of her need. She's placing me first. She's placing her faith and confidence and trust in me. She didn't have two cents to give away, but she's giving two cents in the offering, and Jesus was impressed by her extravagance. So it's not about the amount. So hear that and receive that. Well, let me give you some other examples, though, of extravagance. When Solomon was crowned king of Israel, the protocol, the liturgy, called for the sacrifice of a bull, one bull. And Solomon heard about that. He said, okay, we're, and at this point in the ceremony, we're going to sacrifice a bull, burn it at the altar, and as the smoke rises from this barbecue, this will be a, a fragrant reminder of God's goodness and our worship of him. And Solomon goes, wait a minute. Uh, I, I'm rich. I'm really rich. And rich people, really, we give bigger than that. So we're not going to do one bull. Solomon said, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to sacrifice a thousand bulls. <laughs> so not just one, but a thousand. How many of you know that could have taken some time? I mean, all day long. All day long. The worship of God. The worship of God. Because Solomon said, rich people give big. We're extravagant. We're rich. King David, his heart was so broken. You remember King David is the one who actually had the Ark of the Covenant brought to Jerusalem for the first time, and he, and he established it there. And it was in David's heart to build a temple for a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant, the, the dwelling of God, the place of worship for the nation. And it was in his heart, but he never got to build the temple. But David did raise the money to see the temple constructed. Solomon, his son, actually built the first temple in Jerusalem, but David did the fundraising for it. And David made an appeal throughout the whole nation to contribute to the building fund of the first temple. And at a certain point in that, in that uh, collection, David had to stand up in front of the, uh, the nation and said, look, we've got more than enough. Stop giving. Really, you've been so generous, so lavish, so liberal, so kind that we have more than enough. That's good. Don't give any more to this offering. That's a pretty good moment, isn't it? Just once in my career... You're not as enthused about that as I am. Anyway, <laughs> David, not only, David not only collected the offering, he gave to it personally. Now, now listen, watch this. David's heart was for God. He was so in love with God. He was so devoted to God that David gave of his, out of his personal resource, out of his own pocket. And folks have translated the numbers, not millions of dollars. In today's, in today's terms, King David gave billions of his own money for the construction of the temple. That's billions with a B. There's a summary statement we can find in the Old Testament, and David responds to his own personal contribution, his extravagant gift for the, for the collection, and he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Does that grab anybody besides me? That always grabs me. Last illustration. In Mark chapter 12, there's a woman, un uninvited, unannounced, walks into a dinner party in a private home. Jesus is sitting at dinner on the floor with friends, others there. She walks in, as I say, unannounced. She's carrying with her 
an alabaster jar. This woman is an ex-prostitute. And somewhere along the way, she has met Jesus. And Jesus has come into her life. And she's been changed. And she's really grateful. And she walks into that room that night with this alabaster jar, and she breaks it. And it's filled with this oil, this precious perfume. We learn later that that it has the value of a year's wage. It's that costly. And she breaks it, and she pours it on his head, all of it drips down his head, onto his beard, onto his clothes, onto his person, all the way dripping on the floor. People look at her and say, what is the matter with you? What are you doing? Do you know how much that cost? Do you realize the good that could have been done with that? You could have sold that and helped some poor people with it. Don't you understand the etiquette? Don't you realize what you're doing is just inappropriate? And you can imagine this woman. I imagine her standing there now in tears. And saying, you don't understand. You don't know what he's done for me. You don't know where I was. You don't know how I was living. You don't know the depth of my despair, my hopelessness. He forgave me. He's given me my life back. I have hope. He's everything to me. So I've given extravagantly. Jesus said, you leave her alone. She's prepared me for my burial. Because God has blessed us with more than we need, we're rich. We'll not trust in our riches, but in him who richly provides. And because we have more, we'll give more. And that's how to be good at being rich. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd move in our hearts. You've already blessed us with so much. Help us to be faithful and generous, strategic, and even extravagant. As we're praying this morning, maybe God has been speaking to you through the last few weeks. Like me, maybe you want to be good at being rich. You want to be generous. You want to excel in the grace of giving. So you'll look for opportunities to pray and think about and strategize how you can give, be a blessing.
Give with a cheerful heart. You know it's more blessed to give than receive. If that's in your heart today, you really do want to be good at being rich. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I, I really do. Yeah, that's great. God, thank you for so many people, truly rich people, blessed beyond what we could ever imagine, way beyond what we deserve. Thank you for pouring your blessings into our lives so that we can enjoy them, take pleasure in them, knowing that you've given them to us. And thank you for giving us more than we really need so we can now be a blessing to others. God, help us give strategically, praying about, thinking about, looking for places to give that bring joy to our hearts, even moments to give extravagantly, sacrificially, an act of worship, because you have blessed us so much. Help us to be good at being rich in what matters most. Now, friends, I want you to think about this. Some of you right now in the room, before you give anything, before you do good deeds, before you give to someone in need, God wants first for you to give your life to Him. You see, God gave first. Think about this. While we were still sinners, Jesus, the Son of God, who was without sin, became sin for us. He shed His blood on a cross, and He, decided, he died, and He rose again. And before we called on Him, before we did anything good, you see, God had sent His Son for us. God gave first. And what does God want? God wants us to give our lives back to Him. The reason we need to do that is because our sin separates us from God. We all identify with this idea that, oh man, I've messed up. I'm not good enough for God. And the reason we feel that is because it's actually true. We're not on our own. Our righteousness is not good enough for God. But when we trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, he doesn't see our sin anymore, but he sees the righteousness of his son. So by faith, God sent Jesus so the Holy Spirit would draw us. And even today, maybe there's someone in this room today who say, God, I want to confess today you're not first in my life. I need to turn from my wrongdoing, my sins. I need to turn toward Jesus. I need to turn my life to him. And I want to put God first. Now, if there's anyone in the room today, you'd say, that's me, I'm ready. I recognize it. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. Today, by faith, I trust Jesus, and I put Him first. If that's your prayer today, just lift your hands. It's the only thing I'll ask you to do. Just lift it up and say, I do. I need Jesus in my life. Good, 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 good. Now, everyone, pray this prayer after me, out loud. Everyone, out loud together. Ready? Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Change me and make me new. I believe that Jesus died for me. That he rose from the dead so I could have life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to serve you. I put you first. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.